Welcome to Series 2 of the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. I'm Leslie Goodburn and I decided to develop the podcast after the death of my husband Seth from pancreatic cancer. I wanted to help others understand the disease, its impact, the work that goes on every day to find treatments and hopefully one day a cure. Throughout the series you'll be accompanied by me and my friend Charlotte Foster from Charlotte Foster Productions and we'll talk all about the aspects of the disease from biology to emotional and physical impact. Along the way, we'll meet patients, families, doctors, nurses, oncologists, researchers, lots of different people with varied and different interesting experiences of the disease. The podcast will be frank about the reality of the disease. They will show the commitment and dedication of people working to support a breakthrough in a cancer where survival rates have barely changed in the last 50 years. But they will also focus on the love, the community of support and personal stories of those whose lives are affected. So join us on our second journey of discovery via the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast, made in memory of Seth Goodburn. Welcome to this week's episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. November is, of course, Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. So this is the month where you hear a lot more from us as we try and get the message about pancreatic cancer out there. Well, this week I am talking to uh, Kathy and Eddie. Now, do not for one second let their accents fool you. The pair actually live in Australia. So there was some strange time zones going on when we spoke to each other. We were very much at opposite ends of the day. In fact, I think it was about nine o'clock in the morning when I spoke to them. They were at the end of the day. And so I was sitting here with a cup of tea. They were sitting there with a lovely glass of wine. Well, we began the conversation with Kathy telling me just how she'd got involved with Leslie. I met Leslie on Twitter about 18 months ago, and I was caught by a lot of the stuff that she was doing for Seth's legacy. And I, because of her story, and we'll go into that story, I thought, well, that's amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to follow this woman. And so I followed her for a while, and then I can't remember what she she posted something that just really kind of resonated and hit me. So I contacted her and told her a bit of her story. And so since then, um, we've been chatting and um, we've been following what she's doing and with Seth's legacy. And... Uh, I think the thing with pancreatic cancer, my experience of it was, like I always remember um, my mum apparently died with pancreatic cancer. And I remember my dad following No, she me. did, because I checked the channel. Yeah, she did. Okay. Well, my dad phoned me. Uh, she went in for tests and all this sort of stuff. And he phoned me and he said, your mother doesn't have cancer. Uh, because they did these tests and they didn't find any cancer. And I was like, oh, fantastic. And then I phoned my brother, who's, who's a, a cardiac specialist of sorts. Uh, and he so he said... Um, they didn't find the cancer, but she's evidently got pancreatic cancer. Now, I, I still haven't sort of understood that, I suppose. I, you know, um, I'm not a medical sort of person, so um, I didn't fully understand it, you know. But when I when I went back to Scotland, um, it was about three weeks before she died, and, you know, like, um, it was really, really obvious that she was on her last stage, you know. 
Um, so any hope was sort of shattered at that point, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, see, lots of people I speak to, sadly, for this uh, this podcast in particular, are affected in, in a very sort of similar way in that they've lost people that they love dearly to pancreatic cancer. How would you say it's affected you guys yourselves? Is it something that you now worry about with it having affected both your families? No, I don't. I mean, like, my mother, sorry, I'm, I'm not wanting to hog it, but my mother um, never um, smoked. and uh, She never drank very much either. But my dad sat and smoked beside her and beside us for, you know, all his life sort of thing. He was not a huge drinker and all that. But, I mean, I don't smoke and I keep fairly healthy. And, you know, maybe it's just blind ignorance that I just sort of try to maybe... I mean, he was 84 when he died, and you always hear that, don't you? You know, like he smoked for 70 years. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's not something that preoccupies. I mean, we've got more of a problem with skin cancer here than, um, yeah. than with, you know, I've had a few melanomas and stuff like that. So that's probably more my concern than... It is something I think about a lot, I think. Is it? I, yeah. Because in addition to Eddie's parents and my dad, my sister's father-in-law also died of pancreatic cancer and my sister had a brother-in-law her partner's brother-in-law also died of pancreatic cancer they all live in a similar vicinity to each other um and it is something that i think about um because i don't smoke and i keep healthy and but my dad was the same you know my dad was a 81 year old man who would walk seven miles a day get up have his oats and walk seven miles a day around the countryside and he'd stopped smoking like age 60 or something, so he hadn't been a smoker for a mm. long... I mean, obviously, the damage had been done. Yeah. Um, How old was he when he died? He was eight, just on his 81st year mm. when he died. But mm-hmm. um, like he, had been, he had joined a gym. <laughs> Before his 80th birthday, my dad at 79 joined a gym, and he had to take two buses to go to the gym. And he was the talking point at the gym because everybody thought, who is this man, you know? Yeah. And he was really... He was a bit of a lad, my dad. He would talk to anybody and he liked to chat. Um, but he had to take two buses to go to the gym and he did that three times a week mm-hmm. yeah. until he got sick. And my mum actually died really young. She died at 49. So my dad was, our, he was a single parent at 49. Um, and he had to learn how to cook and he had to learn about food. And he actually was a really good cook and healthy cook. So he never really ate a lot. He would never eat take away food or crap he ate well and so here's this man gets to his 80th year taking two buses to go to the gym three times a week all of a sudden falls ill and never really recovered like fell in the ill in the october i think mm. instead by the january mm. um see my dad would cut a wedge of lard off the block of lard and eat it like yeah. you know yeah. straight and jesus yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. It is something that I think about because here was my dad. He'd stopped smoking. He walked. He was going to the gym. He was eating well. And despite that, you know, and obviously my knowledge tells me that the origin of that was like 30 years earlier that had been growing in him. But I guess I do wonder about the familial elements and a lot of the evidence is a bit kind of unclear about that. But I wonder about that that both Eddie's parents and my dad, and I suppose I wonder more about my children, 
Is that going to be something? I'd like to know what the evidence is around that. Mm. Is that going to make them more susceptible? When you think they don't live in that environment, they live here, which is probably the healthiest place on the planet. Mm. Um, and our boys are quite healthy. We've got one vegan <laughs> and the other who his whole life ate chicken nuggets and chips is now a trainee chef in a three-star a three-hat restaurant and is a, is a food snob. Mm. See, my, my view on it is, um, and it's probably not scientific, but I think that life is a bit of a lottery. I mean, like, one of the guys in my office, his wife died last year, she was 43. You know, three young kids, she never drank, she never smoked, she was really healthy, and I think life is a lottery, you know, and there's so much, um, oh, what's the word? It's just so unclear, you know, there's no linear sort of connection between, well, I mean, obviously in the sort of bell curve context that, you know, there is a sort of linear connection between lifestyle issues and maybe genetics, but it just seems very fuzzy. Those, those sort of connections seem really fuzzy to me, you know. They don't seem to add up a lot of the time. I, I do think about it, and it is something that I wonder, not just for me, mainly for my kids, I wonder about that. I never do. I do. And I think this is fascinating, the dynamics between the pair of you. Um, it, it's it's really interesting. It's nice to have a, a couple talking a, about it together as well. Um, you mentioned earlier on, Cathy, about the, the fact that you met Leslie via Twitter. How much, how important is it to just find other people in, um, I hate saying like the pancreatic cancer community, but that's the best sort of phrase I can come up with at the moment. How important is it to know that there are other people out there? Um, I, I don't know if I feel that I am part of the pancreatic community, but I do remember last year for the first time I followed the whole November thing every day and I watched every every movie every day. Um, and I found that really powerful when I listened to the stories because I've lived more in my life in Australia than I did in Scotland. So I left Scotland when I was 23. And so I didn't spend a lot of time with my dad, but the time I spent with my dad was really important. And then I watched all these stories and they were all really powerful about people and the relationships that they'd had with their families and the loss they had. I remember one day I was at work and I was having my was having my tea break at work and I thought, oh, I'll just watch it now, you know, as you do. And of course I turned it on and immediately I was taken back there and I was like bubbling and bloody needed a snorkel of a work. I was sitting there at my desk and I said, why am I listening to this now? And like my dad died 2009. And so I've dealt with that loss. But in that moment, I was like right back there. And I think it was a young lassie. She was young and her mum had died. And her mum was probably about ages of me. She was in her 50s and she died really quickly. And there's all these pictures of the mum and her going to Spain on holiday and they'd celebrated this birthday. And shortly after that, her mum got sick and very quickly her mum died. So I don't know if I'm part of the pancreatic community and that I don't see myself like that, but I am. And as soon as I'm there, I am. And yeah. watching that podcast at my desk, that's a bad move. Do you find living in Australia, being, I don't know, when you were far away from your parents when they were going through what they're doing, how difficult was that for you? Was it, did, you, did the miles yeah. seem even further than they are? Well, it's interesting because, um, as I said, when my mum was dying, Cathy, her, her son was quite young. So Cathy went over about sort of, a few weeks uh, before me. So I was on the phone to Cathy and I said, How is she? And Cathy was sort of saying, you need to prepare yourself. And uh, But I walked past her at the airport, you know. I, 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 uh, you know, I didn't recognise her. She was always quite a 
a well-presented woman. And I was actually amazed that my son wasn't scared of her because she looked horrific. You she know? weighed about 43 kilos Yeah, she point. was really, really in a bad, bad way. Um, but it's her, amazing she made it to the airport at all. Right? It is. But to her credit, you know, she would sort of take her morphine and she would, she, you know, we used to call her Mr. T because she wore so much jewellery. And uh, she would take her morphine, put her jewellery on and head up to the church for the day, you know. And uh, But it was hard to watch, really hard to watch. And I, I wasn't there when she passed away. This was this was in the days before mobile, so they actually had to carry her downstairs to the phone um, so as I could say, you know, um, say her goodbyes. And, um, and I was in Australia, and I, and I got home just after she died, unfortunately, you know. But um, it's one of the... It's the biggest price you pay for being on the other side yeah. of the world, you know. Yeah. Many and, advantages. And, but. and I guess mine was similar. Like we, we, we always knew that being so far away it would be hard. Mm. But we both had to wait to get the call to get on a plane to knowing, time it. knowing that they're already dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I got there. I got home about probably about 20 hours before my dad died. Uh, and by the time I got to his bedside, he was... He was, he was, you know, no, no great. Um, and it's that whole thing. You, you know, it sounds really mercenary, but you could, you could go back and they could, they could hang on for weeks. And you know, you've got your life here that you've got to try and keep running. Uh, it sounds really bad, and I hope my kids are never in that sort of position. You know, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, I've just thought of something. So I, I, I did make it. So I, I got there on the Tuesday. My dad died on the Friday. And I'm a nurse, and I got there on the Tuesday, and um, so I, I hadn't slept for a few days before I went, and then I hadn't slept on the plane, so I was almost bloody psychotic by the mm. time I got there. And then it was very distressing to see him the way he was in the hospital and everything. And I asked to speak to one of the doctors, and, and they were taking some measures with my dad that I couldn't really make sense of, and so... I don't know if maybe the whole palliative care thing in Australia versus the UK at the time, they had different conflicting ideas. But I basically said to this registrar, why are you taking these measures with my dad? Why are you doing these things? Why don't you just medicate him and, and let him be at peace? I said, this isn't what my dad would have wanted. We've never had a conversation, but this is not what he would have wanted. And this lady, she was a female registrar, turned to me and she goes, we can't euthanize your father. And I was like really offended at that. I was like, I never suggested you euthanize my father. I suggest that you consider my dad's end-of-life decisions. And nobody's talked to him about that. And you're taking these measures that are extending his life at a time when by it's obvious that this is the outcome for my dad. Why would you do that? And I just felt so angry with her. I mean, I was obviously a wee bit psychotic because I hadn't slept in days. <laughs> so it probably wasn't as pleasant as it could have been. But... I was really shocked by that, that she would think that what I wanted was a, a peaceful exit from a dad that was as calm and as considered as possible, that she thought I was trying to kind of extinguish my dad. Mm, and, you know... That it, really upset yeah, me. I totally agree. I mean, that, that situation with that girl that just died last year that I was talking about, you know, her death was horrific. In front of her children, her death was horrific. And, you know, my family dynamic is quite... Um, strange i've got a, an older brother and sister who grew up in ireland and we grew up in scotland and it's a bit strange so when my dad was dying um we got there you know and he said he, he said i'm not going till the till the twins get here sort of thing and uh my uh 
was one of the very, very few occasions where the whole family had been in one room together. You know, um, anyway, um, they they had been around his bed for days, and I sort of said to him, I said, listen, why don't you all just go and have some breakfast or something like that, you know, and I'll just stay with him. And uh, so they had been there for days, and, and I just, it was horrific. It was horrific. And I, and so I, and I don't know if he heard me, I don't know if he was conscious, but I said to him, Dad, you, you just need to go, you know, I mean, uh, you need to go. And and he just went, just took me at my words, you know, and uh, and, and then everybody came back in the room. I think they thought I'd put a pillow over his head, to be quite honest with you, you know, and because uh, it was a bit of coincidence. That, and I think he maybe just waited, at some level, maybe just waited till, till they were all gone. But I think there was a few of them that were quite sort of angry at him, you know, that, um, and, and maybe angry at me because they, they felt that I hadn't been there through his suffering uh, and then he had chosen to die with me. Um, but I don't know. But it was, a, it was a strange thing to watch because he sort of came back and he didn't look like him. Um, you know, he looked, I don't know what he looked like, but about five seconds before he died, he came back into himself, you know, and, and uh, so he, I thought, oh, there's my dad. And then he just just died, you know, so it's hard. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, the only thing that I would say is that, and it's a cliche, isn't it, you know, but I think life is a lottery and, um, you know, you just got to try and make the most of I was just saying to somebody earlier on, we live in Australia and we feel blessed for it. And I've got these Australian friends who really get annoyed with me. Um, and we were playing golf just recently and I, I made them all stop. And I said, boys, this is the best time of the day, the best time of the year and the best place in the world. And there was kangaroos sitting on the side of the green and everything like that. And, uh, and just that. That just stop and just sort of, you know, just just appreciate it. No matter where you are, you know, you can be miserable anywhere. And know? I suppose what Leslie has done and continues to do for Seth's legacy is that everybody should have the opportunity, whether it's a kangaroo or whether it's a bloody That's rabbit right. or whether it's a squirrel. <laughs> you know, everybody should have the ability to be able to stand there. And the work that she's doing is extending people's lives and giving people options into the future that they never had 10 years ago, that if you got, you know, pancreatic cancer, then you were pretty much, you know. So whether it's a kangaroo or a squirrel or a rabbit, then it's great that people have the opportunity to be able to mm. be there. Yeah, because I've had a few wee um, sort of touches with cancer, with melanoma and stuff like that, you know, and um, it, it, you sort of look over the edge sort of thing and you think, oh, well, uh, thankfully, touch wood, it's... it's, it's it's all good, you know, but there'll come a day where, where you'll get that call, you know, and... Um, That's just, the cheery thought. No, it is, unless you get hit by a bus, you know, but um, <laughs> you just got to try and just enjoy what you've got while you've got it, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe easy for us to say, we're sitting here, you know, and the, the door's open and the sun's just gone down, you know, it's quite easy for us. I mean, if you're in the middle of, like, the crappy part of Glasgow, it's hard to... Yeah, but if you were sitting... In the next suburb right now and you're pancreatic kind of cancer, it wouldn't make any difference. The sun's going down and the it doors might. open. It might, you know. I mean, I think if you're sitting there with pancreatic kind of cancer, you're still alive. You know, you, you know, until you're dead, you're alive. So just try and make the most of it, really, you know. Thank you. Okay. I've really enjoyed talking to the pair of you. It's been really lovely. Thank you. Now, that conversation I just had with uh, Kathy and Eddie 
is one of the main reasons I absolutely adore this podcast and think it's so important and so special. It's, and I know they won't mind me saying this, the normality of it. It was a husband and wife and me just having a normal conversation. And that's what we need to be having much more of, normal conversations about pancreatic cancer. We need to have those conversations with everybody. And that's what I'm going to set you a challenge this Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Have a conversation with someone about pancreatic cancer. You can do it with a glass of wine. You can do it with a cup of tea. Whatever makes it, you know, easier for you. But that's what I think we need to be doing. Let's raise the awareness. Today's episode has been sponsored by Sean Hancock and Nick Hancock. And we thank them very much for that contribution, for that money that has helped bring these podcasts to you right now. As always, don't be shy. Get in touch with us. We love to hear your stories. Uh, you can do that via social media or, of course, purplerainbow.co.uk.